readers, and welcome to episode 12 of Lost the Plot, the Tinted Edges monthly podcast all about books. I'm your host, Ang Harrod, and today we're going to be talking all about the industry of ghostwriting and the inside scoop about writing under somebody else's name. But first, book updates. So we've had some pretty thrilling news since the last episode. You might recall I talked about the controversy surrounding notorious conservative Milo Yiannopoulos's $250,000 book deal with Simon Schuster and uh, several other writers speaking out against the upcoming book titled Dangerous, including feminist writer Roxane Gay, who pulled the plug on her own book in protest. Well, after audio surfaced, Um, that made the writer-to-be look like a pedophilia sympathizer, the publisher has cancelled the publication altogether. Although Milo Yiannopoulos has expressed confidence that somebody else will pick up the book, that what publisher would be willing to touch it after all this remains to be seen. And you might also remember that last year I signed up to the Reddit Gifts book exchange and got super excited about picking out books for my match and getting books in the mail from my Santa. Well, I'm ashamed to say that the Reddit Gifts book exchange has come around again and I still have not read my book from last year. So in Books for the World, the Kitchener Street Library is doing well and we've reached our third page of visitor messages, which is super exciting. Because I'm a nosy Nancy, I love to go see what books have come and gone, but there was one book that I was really excited about. When I opened the front cover, I was thrilled to see a book plate announcing that it was a book crossing book. It had an ID number and a QR code so you could look it up on the book crossing website and track it which, of course, I did. This was a much more organized version of my very failed attempt at setting a book free way back in episode four, which, you know, I must admit, I still have never heard anything further about. So to keep the fun going, I'm not going to tell you what the book is, but I will leave it out in the wild, in the Kitchener Street Library, for someone else to find. And this might inspire me to do another book experiment very soon. In other altruistic news, the February Canberra Lifeline Book Fair was on and I was absolutely thrilled to volunteer. And you can see my delighted selfie in higher viz in the show notes. I did a four hour shift at the book donation stand with two older men and two high school age boys. And I really got into it, taping up boxes, greeting donors, packing books and sending them off in a van to the warehouse. I was absolutely amazed at how many books were donated while I was there. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, to say nothing of the half a million that were on sale over the weekend. Unfortunately, it was an absolutely sweltering day and reached 42 degrees Celsius. I was melting like crazy in the heat and despite all the water I was drinking, by the time I knocked off at one, I was exhausted. I was supposed to meet a friend to go look through all the books after my shift, but after about half an hour of browsing around, I was so done and I nicked off to go get Uh, to go have a well-deserved swim. I really enjoyed it though, and I think I'll put my hand up for the next fair in winter. And if you want to learn more about the Lifeline Book Fair, check out my earlier episode of the podcast. There was a lot of book news this month, but before I start on that, I have a hot, or is it cold, book tip to share. 
I bought a book on, Austra- on Australian horse history for my grandma for Christmas. And after opening it up to the very first picture, she gave me a call to tell me that the artwork, which featured a woman with a horse, was in fact her aunt. I had a bit of a Google to have a look at the picture, and I found that the same picture had in fact been used as a cover for a trashy-looking novel that was published in the 1950s. Naturally, I had to get a copy of it to surprise my grandma. So I found it cheap on eBay, and I ordered it from, I think, gosh, I think it was from w- from Western Australia. And I got it delivered to my place first to make sure that everything was all hunky-dory. The book seemed fine to me, so I sent it on to my grandma, who then called me, delighted with her surprise, but told me that this very second-hand book had been making her sick. So she told me that she'd try putting it in the freezer to see if that would help, and lo and behold, it did. So, hot tip, if you have a second-hand book that's giving you allergies, try cooling it down first. And P.S. as expected, the book was complete trash. Anyway, so we have a lot to cover and I'll get stuck right into it with some of the book awards that have been announced. Aboriginal actor and playwright Leah Purcell won the prize for literature at the Victorian Premier's Literary Awards, Australia's biggest literary award worth an incredible $100,000. Purcell won the accolade for her stage adaptation that reimagines the quintessential Australian short story, Henry Lawson's The Drover's Wife. One of my favourite authors of 2016, Maxine Beniba-Clark, won the poetry section of the Victorian Premier's Literary Awards for her collection Carrying the World. Author Sebastian Barry has won the Costa Award, one of Britain's most prestigious literary awards, for the second time, and this time for his novel Days Without End. He won it for the first time in 2008 for his book The Secret Scripture. The long list for the 2017 Stella Prize has been announced, and 12 books have been selected. Dimex actually announced a contest for two writers to become Stella Prize insiders, and once the shortlist is announced, read all six shortlisted books before the final prize is awarded on 18th of April. Of course, I put my name up, so uh, I put my name down, so cross your fingers for me, I find out on the 8th of March. And yes, I absolutely will abandon my reading list to do this. So, speaking of dates, there was a very special date this past month, and that is right, February 14th, Library Lovers Day. There were a lot of events on in the ACT libraries, but um, I wasn't a particularly good library lover myself, and apart from my daily check of the Kitchener Street Library, I didn't organize anything at all. Imagine my surprise then when I got a special Library Lovers Day gift from my partner, a Penguin Clothbound classic edition of Shakespeare's collected sonnets. Super romantic. Uh, There was another lovely library story in Germany where the Cologne Public Library has opened its doors as a public space for refugees to meet and learn. Workshops for learning German, participating in theatre, looking for jobs and finding accommodation are run and it is a great way to use space to welcome the one million refugees that Germany opened its doors to in 2015. In other library news, the world's first ICE library has been constructed in Russia with 420 book panels inscribed with messages from all over the world in all different languages expressing people's wishes. Visitors are able to walk through the labyrinth of a library until it melts in the spring, and then the wishes are then returned back to the earth. But don't worry, though, it's been decided that this ice library will become an annual festival. 
There was a lot of Russian library news this month as it was announced that Russia's most expensive library has recently opened. The book Capella, based in St. Petersburg, contains over 5,000 rare books valued in an average of between $500 to $840 a book. Uh, divided into thematic rooms, the library isn't just expensive because of the books it contains. The book Capella charges a cool $100 plus for a four-hour visit and offers other exclusive services as well. And this leads me into the first book crime story of this episode. And gosh, I love book crimes. So over in the UK, two million pounds worth of books have been stolen from a West London warehouse by three cat burglars. In a heist that sounds like something from Mission Impossible, the three thieves bored holes through the glass ceiling, repelled 40 feet downwards, avoided the motion sensors, and stole more than 160 books, many from the 14th and 15th century, including books by Galileo, Da Vinci, Isaac Newton, and even a 16th century edition of Dante's Inferno. The most valuable book stolen was worth over £200,000 alone. The sheer rarity of these books means that they were almost certainly stolen for a private collection because they would be impossible to sell. And that wasn't the only book crime news story, with another much closer to home here in Australia. After being acquitted of murdering his girlfriend, accused former chauffeur Gordon Wood is suing the state of New South Wales for malicious prosecution, alleging that a key witness in the case had a serious conflict of interest. Wood is alleging that the witness, Associate Professor Rod Cross, was writing a book called Evidence for Murder, How Physics Convicted a Killer, at the time he gave evidence against Wood about the way his girlfriend's body landed after being allegedly thrown off an infamous Sydney suicide spot, and that seeing him convicted would be, have been beneficial from, uh, for his book. So, checking out the book's page on Goodreads, two things become obvious. Number one, the book didn't do very well, especially after the conviction was overturned. And number two, it is pretty clear where the allegations of bias have come from. And that's not the only miscarriage of justice that's been happening in the name of books. And sadly, there is quite a bit of author persecution news this month. In Seattle, USA, theoretical astrophysicist Dr. Chanda Prescott-Weinstein has was stopped and surrounded by seven TSA agents after being informed that she had bomb-making materials in her bag that had just been x-rayed. Her bag actually contained books, including a copy of Hitler's American Model, The United States and the Making of Nazi Race Law. Prescott Weinstein is black and Jewish and noticed that despite many people walking past her, nobody stopped to make sure she was okay while she was being patted down. And she's not the only person of note who's been stopped recently under America's much tougher border protocols. In a story that got much, much more attention, white Australian children's book author Mem Fox, most famous for her story Possum Magic, was for two hours at Los Angeles airport on her way to a conference in Milwaukee. Um, sorry, she was stopped for two hours. And once she was safely back in Australia, uh, Fox wrote a letter of complaint to the USA Embassy in Canberra and actually received an apology the very same day. Fox has said that she can't imagine going back to the US after her ordeal, and ironically, Fox is about to release a children's book about welcoming strangers to a new land called I'm Australian Too. 
Here in Canberra, there's been another story involving books and bullying. Iconic Canberra secondhand bookshop Beyond Q has been at the centre of a dispute involving the Curtain Square shops, which are 50 years old. The owners of the curtain shops have applied for a six-storey redevelopment permit which, if given the green light, will mean that the shops will be closed for a year while works happen. If they are not approved, the owners have indicated that they'll close the shops indefinitely until an economically viable solution is found. Simon Maddox, the owner of Beyond Q Bookshop, is hoping for a compromise, however he acknowledges that it's highly unlikely that if the development goes ahead, his bookshop and cafe will be able to return to the new building. They would have to find somewhere to keep and store the books for between 18 months to two years, and that is simply for them not a sustainable solution. Beyond Q is one of my favourite bookshops in Canberra, and I hope somehow that they manage to keep it going. Alright, so there is a massive stack of book release news headed your way this month, so buckle up. Right at the top of the list, of course, because we wouldn't have it any other way, is Harry Potter news. As you may know, this year is the 20th anniversary of the publication of the first Harry Potter book, and in celebration, Bloomsbury are releasing special editions of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone in house colours. There are hardback and paperbacks, and images of the covers have been released, and oh my god, they have tinted edges. The books were announced on Harry Potter Book Night and they'll be released in June this year. And then, in unbelievable news, Philip Pullman, the author of His Dark Materials trilogy, has announced a second trilogy set, a, a second trilogy that will be set alongside the best-selling series. And although individual titles of the books haven't been announced yet, the series is called The Book of Dust and the first book is slated for release on the 19th of October this year. Neil Gaiman, The Man Who Never Sleeps, has announced a sequel to his wonderful fantasy novel Neverwhere, which is set in an alternative underground London. Currently being written, a release date hasn't been announced, but Gaiman said that he has drawn inspiration from his work with the UN Refugee Agency, and given the focus on homelessness in the first book, it sounds to me perhaps like Gaiman, uh, Gaiman will be writing about statelessness. This, uh, the book is titled The Seven Sisters, and I am so, so excited. And Neil Gaiman also has a graphic novel version of his novel American Gods being released this month, which is perfect timing for his upcoming TV adaptation. Now, do not get too excited when I mention this next name, because it isn't what you think it is. So Patrick Rothfuss has announced a special 10-year anniversary edition of his novel The Name of the Wind, the first in the as-yet-unfinished series The King Killer Chronicles. Unfortunately, we still don't have a date for the third and final book in the trilogy, The Doors of Stone, but I'm hoping we get one soon. And February was a fantastic month in Canberra for author events, and I managed to get along to three. So first up was Clementine Ford at the National Library of Australia talking about her book Fight Like a Girl. Unfortunately, though, when the time came to buy tickets, which for me was about a week prior to the event, they were all sold out. So I decided to trust my luck and turn up anyway to see what I can do. Um, I arrived early and waited at the sign that said to wait there if you don't have a ticket. And believe it or not, within five minutes, somebody had approached me saying that a person in their group couldn't come and would I like to buy their ticket from them. After a quick telephone call, some cash out of the ATM and a ticket exchange, I had in my hot little hand a ticket to see Clementine Ford. Um, if you're listening, Sue, thank you very much. It was... um. 
Yeah, and then, and then, by extra sheer luck, a friend of mine came and sat next to me completely by accident. So it was a fantastic evening, and I have to say, I did find Clementine Ford to be a much more compelling speaker than I did a writer. Uh, drinks and canapes were afterwards, and my friend wanted to line up to get her book signed. Now, I've actually been keeping my copy of Fight Like a Girl in the Kitchener Street Library, and it has already been borrowed and returned, so I toyed with the idea of bringing it along to get it signed out to the library or, you know, to the girls of Kitchener Street or something twee like that, but I couldn't come up with a good enough message, so I ended up just leaving it behind. Instead, Clementine very sportingly obliged me with a photo, and as you may see in the show notes, I think it turned out pretty amazing. Um, I also got to see Kate Grenville at the National Library of Australia discussing her new non-fiction book, The Case Against Fragrance. Now, she was really lovely when I was uh, getting her book signed and personalized the message for me as I was buying it as a gift. And you really need to get your hands on this book. It is such an eye-opener. And then was the wonderful Madeleine Tien, who was shortlisted last year for the Man Booker Prize for her novel, Do Not Say We Have Nothing. And she was an absolutely awe-inspiring speaker and just so, so eloquent. And she was incredibly lovely in person. And when she was signing my book, um, and I just cannot wait to read her novel. And then finally, in, in sad news, the creator of the children's book character Miffy, Dutch author and artist Dick Bruner, has died at the age of 89. Bruner created his last Miffy book about the iconic rabbit character in 2011 and retired in 2014. Earlier this year, I went with some friends to go see the film Lion a movie nominated for several Oscars starring Dev Patel that was based on an incredible true story about a lost Indian boy named Saru Brearley, who, after being adopted by, an Aust- by Australian parents, managed to find his way back to his birth family by using Google Earth. The film was adapted from Saru Brearley's book, uh, his 2013 book, A Long Way Home. And mid-February, Australia's ABC News website broke a story about a man called Dr. Larry Buttrose talking about being the ghostwriter behind the book. Now, although I hadn't read the book yet myself, a friend of mine had been listening to the audiobook, and we'd been discussing its merits as compared to other memoirs we'd been reading. And when we found out that it had actually been ghostwritten, we both had a pretty strong emotional reaction. Surprise, disappointment, betrayal, and suspicion. And I remember having a similar reaction when I read a um, Reddit Ask Me Anything, known as an AMA, with author K.A. Applegate, who is best known for her 1990s young adult sci-fi alien invasion series, The Animorphs, of which I was probably the biggest fan when I was um, a preteen. Anyway, so in her candid and unapologetic AMA, Applegate talks about how half the books from the main series were ghostwritten and goes into some detail about the issues with keeping style consistent and providing good outlines to the ghostwriters. And I remember when I was reading this being quite shocked and feeling as though I'd been somehow deceived. So this has led me to ask the question, how many other popular books are actually ghostwritten? A quick explore on Google suggests that anywhere from between 50% to 80% of published books are written by someone other than the author on the cover. And this figure absolutely astounded me. Up to 80% of books in bookstores aren't written by who you think they are? And then I had a bit more of a think about it. I mean, okay, so obviously celebrity autobiographies by TV and sports stars 
are unlikely to have been written by the person. In the new Gilmore Girls reboot, um, there's a minor plot point, and this is not a spoiler, so don't worry. There's a minor plot point where Rory is asked to ghostwrite a celebrity's biography. Um, politicians get other people to write their speeches all the time, and so it makes sense that they would get someone else to write their book. Um, another pop culture example of this is Frank Underwood um, hiring a best-selling author to write his book for him in, uh, in the TV show House of Cards. Uh, so, and CEOs trying to peddle books about business success are also unlikely to be expert writers. And for long kids, book club series like Animorphs and Goosebumps and Pony Pals and, you know, whatever you, whatever you have, it actually, it probably would have been impossible for a single author to churn out a brand new 120-page book every month for the Scholastic Book Club. So, okay, so that accounts for those. But what about general fiction? You know, names like James Patterson, Nancy Drew, Tom Clancy, Robert Ludlum. You know, these authors are all actually more like brands that lots of other authors write under. So while all of this makes a bit more sense, the big question remains, is it ethical? Um, so I guess for me, the question of ethics must be broken down into two parts the reader and the writer. And as I said earlier, finding out that my favorite childhood series had been mostly ghostwritten, well, it felt like a betrayal. I felt like I had been lied to, and with my adult brain, I felt like I had been misled into paying for a product which was not what I thought it was. In preparing for this podcast, I went and had a bit of a flip through some of the later Animorph books with my more discerning eyes. And sure enough, Tucked away on one of the inside pages is the small message that my nine-year-old self missed. The author would like to thank, insert name here, for her assistance in preparing this manuscript. It's not obvious, but it is there. Some other books, like Jane Patterson's book shorts, are more obviously written by other people and have, with, insert name here, in large letters at the bottom of the front uh, cover of the book. So, as a reader, are you getting what you pay for? Are you paying for books by a particular author or are you paying for a brand? And is it easy for the reasonable person to be able to tell the difference? And then on the other side of the coin, as a ghostwriting author, are you getting paid fairly? Are you trading recognition um, for your work for fair pay? Successful ghostwriter Andrew Croft in a blog post explained all the benefits he enjoys as a ghostwriter. But having a bit of insight into writing, I wonder how many freelancers who haven't made a big break don't have the same negotiating power and have to accept less than what their writing is actually worth. Um, so it's a tricky issue. And, I, and um, to my readers who are listening, if you have any insights or questions you'd like to share on the podcast about ghostwriting, I'd, I'd love for you to get, into touch, uh, get in touch with me via the Tinted Edges website. And if you want to read more about any of the stories I've talked about today, uh, check out the links in the show notes. After a marathon month in January, I actually only managed to get through four books in February. Um, so first up was debut novel Skylarking by Kate Mildenhall, a historical novel based on an event that happened at a lighthouse a few hours away from where I live. Um, I got onto this book because it was the set book uh, for Feminazi in February, and so we we all read the book, and then we went along to the Feminazi book club at Smith's Alternative and, and had a bit of a chat about it. So it's a whimsical and deeply intense book about uh, female friendship, 
and it was an interesting read and I'm looking forward to seeing um, what future books this author comes up with and, and how her writing develops. And then next was A Bit of Earth, which is an eclectic yet incredibly insightful collection of memoir vignettes by Wendy Listina about her various lives around the USA, in particular after she inherits some land. Then there was Pamulwi uh, by Aboriginal writer Eric Wilmot, a historical novel about British settlement around the Sydney area in the late 1700s. Um, and it's about the previous un previously untold story of an Aboriginal resistance fighter. This was an incredibly important book that I think actually should probably be on high school curriculum, but it did really remind me how disinterested I am in reading about war. And I found um, Wilmot goes into a lot of detail about um, about particular battles and weapons and how many soldiers there were and what they were wearing and where they went and how long they marched for. And it, I, I, I found that bit a bit difficult. Um, and then finally... Uh, was fast-paced fantasy novel Through the Arch by Devery Walls, which is about a pair of university students who are whisked away into an alternate world where their true identities are eventually revealed. All right, readers, that's it from me. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode in April. <laughs>